Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Matthew chapter number 21, children in fourth grade and below are dismissed. The children's church, open up your hearts to the word this morning. I encourage you children, be back for tonight for uh, children's spotlight as well as our uh, time of offering together as a, as a church family. Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things today that uh, you might not be used to, and that's okay, uh, change things up. Uh, I want you to pay attention in the offering envelope uh, racks behind the, uh, in the pews there. Uh, most all of them should have a purple piece of paper like this. I want you to identify that and get that in your hands. So the offering envelopes, there should be enough. Help each other out with that. Pass those down. Uh, if there's not, pass them back and so on. Don't get too distracted about, um, about it. We'll have some extras at the end of the service. Have that, have that uh, nearby. Boy, sure thankful for what God's doing in our hearts and uh, thankful for even this time of uh, just singing and, and thinking about uh, our good Savior today. What a good Lord we have. What a good Savior. That crown, um, I don't know if you've ever been out here to this tree. Guys, you've mowed around this tree out here, and it produces, I don't know why, but it produces thorns at the, at the base of the tree, and they're big. I mean, they're big, and they're lethal. Uh, I have some in my office that we've taken up, and I, I have them on my bookcase just as a, a reminder. Uh, that... Mm, the thorns that were placed on Jesus' head, I mean, they were massive. They were, they were thorns. I have here perhaps a replica of the nail that might have been used to hang Jesus on the cross. And we're, talking, we're talking the most gruesome, uh, brutal criminal death that can be imagined. I heard someone say, you know, today we wear a cross as jewelry and, you know, we think of it somewhat fondly. Only Jesus could have taken such an instrument of death and made it such an object of peace and hope. Only Jesus could have turned it around like that. I've never thought about that before like that, but that really blessed my heart. But uh, we should not forget that, well, the world celebrates Palm Sunday and his entering in. Jesus was not going to Jerusalem with, you know, uh, with one thing in mind and then plan B. Oh, I got to go to the cross. He came for the cross. And so I believe that we'll see that today even as we uh, jump into this sermon. Matthew chapter number 21, we're going to read the first 11 verses here, uh, the triumphal entry. And so it is this, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find a donkey and that's what it was it was a it was a that was the animal that was used but more specifically and a colt with her loose them and bring them unto me and if any man say aught unto you like 
hey, what are you doing stealing my donkey? Uh, you know, basically, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, he says, ye shall say, the Lord, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, saying, tell ye the daughter of Zion, Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Uh, Luke, and I believe it's uh, Mark as well, mentions a multitude of disciples, followers. And there were, that was a mixed audience there. Uh, it was some that, that didn't have angst against Jesus. And we'll see that in a minute, and even were turned um, um, by the religious leaders. So we have this large audience. I mean, it, it's, it's quite a multitude that is out there. And they spread their garments in the way. Think about that. Uh, guys taking off your suit coat, throwing it down on the ground. Ladies taking off maybe your sweater or whatever you, know, whatever you could take off and uh, be appropriate. Uh, they're throwing this down the ground. I mean, think about that. They, they value him. They're honoring him in that way. Others cut down branches from the trees, strawed them in the way. They're making a path. And the multitude that went before and followed cried, saying, let's read this together, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he came, it was come into Jerusalem, and all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Think about that. Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. You can read this account in all four of the Gospels, uh, varying perspectives on this account. But here we are in Matthew. Matthew's written to declare Jesus Christ as the king. The king. The king of the Jews. Here he is writing in. They're thinking one thing. Jesus is thinking another thing. But he's coming for the cross. Let's bow and ask the Lord to help us to understand our conqueror did come. Praise the Lord for that. Lord, we thank you today for uh, riding into Jerusalem. Lord, I cannot imagine the mixed emotions that you had when you rode in that day. Such an enthusiastic and an emotionally driven crowd that, that had seen you do so many wonderful works, as, as the Apostle John wrote down for us. Lord, they, they were stirred up, and they were so joyous on that day, things changed so fast. I cannot imagine what you went through going through those days there in Jerusalem. But Lord, we thank you for going to Jerusalem. We thank you for the, the day that you were up in Caesarea Philippi and you told your disciples that you would build your church and that you, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And then you told your disciples, Lord, that you had to go to Jerusalem and you had to die there. Thank you. Lord, may we value what you've done for us and on our behalf and may we take that message to this world around us and I pray for those that do not yet know you who are with us this morning. God, I pray that you touch them in a special way, that you draw them, and I pray that they would come to the cross today and that they would seek you by faith and receive the salvation that you offer to them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So as you understand, this is one week before 
Jesus would conquer sin, death, and hell by rising bodily, not, not spiritually, uh, but bodily, I, I should say it completely, in his whole being, um, from the grave. And so some people say, oh, it, it, he didn't bodily rise from the grave. No, bodily, we will celebrate, he, he rose up from the grave uh, one week from, um, from today as we celebrate uh, this time of year. And so as he rode into Jerusalem to present himself, yes, as the king, but not coming in the way that they thought, uh, he rode into a very enthusiastic crowd that was there for the celebration of Passover, which if you are a Bible student, you understand that the Passover was a celebration or it was a celebration that looked forward to the Passover lamb who would one day die for the sins of, of all, all men. And so the Jewish people were all together there in Jerusalem, and the, the population of Jerusalem surged during this time, well over 100,000 people, people estimate. And they're there in Jerusalem, and they're celebrating this. And now Jesus is riding in, and they're excited because they've seen his miracles, John says. They've seen his wonderful works that no man could do except he come from God, as Nicodemus said. They've seen all this, and so they're going out. And, and now the people are actually quoting the Bible, the Old Testament, the Psalms, Psalm 118, and they're attributing that to this king now that is riding into Jerusalem. And so uh, a, a donkey is provided, and, and Jesus is riding in. There's great celebration. I want you to notice on the map here uh, how that uh, Jesus comes in. He's coming from Jericho through Bethphage, and he's coming in right there beside the Temple Mount, and he's coming into Jerusalem uh, with great pomp and circumstance that was developed. He didn't request this, but the, 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 the crowd around him uh, develops and, and gives him this great welcome into Jerusalem. And it was not without great sadness on his heart, as we will see. But I want us to realize there is significance to the triumphal entry. Now, perhaps uh, over the last several years, probably 2019 uh, to forward, this has become one of my, one of my favorite uh, parts of the Bible. Uh, the, just, just all that was going on in this specific day and the days following. And I want us to uh, draw some, uh, some correlations, if you will, uh, some applications that are very appropriate to our day. What was Jesus doing? What was the significance? And why is it still significant to us today? Why is it still important for us to understand what Jesus was doing on this very day as he entered into Jerusalem? And uh, understand as the crowd uh, looked at it as a day of triumph and great joy, Hosanna and all that was being cried, in the recesses of Jesus' heart, it was still the cross. It was still a cross. And sometimes we aren't on the same page with God, and they weren't on the same page with God, and all that was going on, they didn't fully understand, and we wouldn't have understood either. His own disciples didn't fully understand. They still wanted the kingdom. <laughs> they still wanted him on a throne. But he came in that day with great significance, and I want you to notice in verses 1 through 5, as he comes in, the Bible notes for us that it was in fulfillment of prophecy. Did you notice in verse number four, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. And then verse number five is a quote. So everything that Jesus had done on that day, as in many other instances, was done to fulfill prophecy. It was done to fulfill and to prove the word of God. 
And yes, in a day of great political tension, yes, in a day of great religious tension, and even when religion, big religion, had overtaken the city and there was even the, the exchanging that was going on in the temple, the, the, uh, the, the thievery that was going on in the name of big religion, all these different tensions that were going on, Jesus came into Jerusalem declaring and fulfilling prophecy verifying that God's word is indeed true. In fact, 700 years previous at least, Jesus had been prophesied that he would come into Jerusalem in this way. Isaiah 62 and verse 11, Behold, the, king, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, saying ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. And yes, God had promised over and over, and even very specifically, as we'll see, he promised over and over, he's going to come, and he's going to come in this way, and he's bringing salvation with him. He's bringing salvation. He was not focused on the throne at this point. He is bringing salvation. His reward is with him. Alfred Edersheim, a Jewish historian, writes uh, aptly as he would survey the survey the Bible, the Old Testament. There, there was 456 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen by the end of this service, uh, but uh, Jesus fulfilled in his life uh, 456 Old Testament prophecies. I've mentioned this before, but I believe it bears uh, uh, repeating today that there was a professor, Professor uh, Peter Stoner, who worked with 600 uh, different student, uh, students to find out the probability of just one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies, eight of those prophecies being fulfilled in one person. And they worked it out, and they discovered it took them quite a, quite a, a bit of time, but they worked it out as being one in, in 100 quadrillion 100 quadrillion. You think about our, our national debt, not to depress you, but we haven't even gotten there, okay? Thankfully, we haven't gotten there. Uh, I hope we don't. But uh, nonetheless, uh, this is an astronomical number. Uh, Lee Strobel, an atheist turned Christian, he uh, performed some calculations based on that. And maybe you've read about that before, but he, he said, I, I want to break it down in this way. If you were to take little one-inch tiles and lay them across all the dry land across the globe and lay them all the way across, and, and, and you were to take one of those tiles, and on the back of that tile you were to put a red dot and then allow someone to travel the globe all their life, all their life travel the globe and pick up one tile. The odds of them picking up that one tile would be the same as one person fulfilling Eight of, those eight of those 456 prophecies. Listen, uh, to, to say that the word of God is true and Jesus fulfilling it on this day underscores the truth of God's word for us yet today is an understatement. It is still true. God's word is true. And friends, where that becomes very relevant to our lives, the Bible that you hold in your hand, whether printed or a digital copy, it does not matter. The Bible that you hold in your hand is still true. Everything it says is true. By the way, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For that, uh, that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It is very, very true. When God says, forgive one another, it is very, very true. When God says, if you don't forgive... Uh, others are trespasses. I will not forgive you of your trespasses. It's very, very true. Every bit of the word of God is true. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Matthew 5, 18, 
There's not one jot nor one tittle uh, and no wise shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So the word of God was verified on this day as in other days in scripture. But on this day when he rode into Jerusalem, it was verified once again. Zechariah 9.9 that we'll look at in a moment uh, uh, underscores exactly how he would write in. It was verified on that day. You take heart. God's word is true. It was true then. It's true today. Amen, friends? All right, listen. That might sound rudimentary, and you saying amen to that might sound like, you know, it's elementary to our faith. Friends, we are living in a world that does not believe the word of God. And you say, well, that's out there. That's not in here. There are 384,000 lead pastors in America, according to George Barna. When they surveyed those by calling 500 of them a day with a large team, and they began to ask six questions of those, those lead pastors in our country. Number one, does absolute moral truth exist? Number two, is the Bible accurate in its teachings? Number three, is Satan a real being? Number four, can heaven be earned? Uh, number five, did Jesus live a sinless life? Number six, does God still rule the world today? Of those 384,000 pastors, only 28% of them said that we agree with the Bible and its teachings on these matters. Meaning that 72% of the ones standing in pulpits across our country today are opening up a book or opening up other books and have no belief on the firm truth of God's word. By the way, if we go a little bit further, this, 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 this burdens my heart. Only 2.8% of those pastors are willing to take the word of God and apply it to modern day issues that we're seeing in our country today. But what I'm saying here today, we have truth has fallen in the streets. So it's not the politicians that don't believe in absolute truth. We don't even believe in absolute truth inside the churches of America. And so we're in a real problem. And so why is it important for you today, on this day, when we're talking about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, why is it important for you to resettle your heart in the fact that the Bible I hold in my hand is true from cover to cover, and the cover's true too? Holy Bible. Why is it so important? Because you're living in the midst of a generation that is chucking truth out everywhere. I want you to go back with me for a moment to Genesis chapter number um, Genesis chapter number 2. The Bible's relevant, friends. Bible's relevant. Give more than one service to discover its relevance. Give more than one day of reading it to discover its relevance. Stick around. We'll, we'll continue to do our very best to apply it into our, into our daily life. But the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 2. And verse number, well, go back to chapter 1 and verse number 27. So, I want you to read this out loud with me. Uh, I, want, I want every voice involved here this morning, all right? Are you all there? Say amen. All right, here we go. Ready, begin. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Do you realize right now from the very first chapter of the Bible, our world has shunned the truth of God's word, that there are males and there are females. There are, not, there are not other genders, right? There are males and there are females. Are you with me this morning? There are males and there's females. And I know that it's okay to get, 
you know, amens right in here, and everyone's, I, I trust everyone understands that. My three-year-old understands that. She walked into my room this, this week and said, Mommy, you're a girl. Daddy, you're a boy. And I was like, you, you understand more things than most people out there. But do you realize this right now is an attack on the truth of God's word? What am I trying to correlate here? Jesus wrote in Jerusalem. He proved prophecies that were given 700 years before, and his word is very true. It's still true when it says male and female. There is not, there is not multitudes of genders out there. What is it on Facebook? You can select 72 or 152 different, uh, different gender preferences. Friends, now listen. I know you might struggle with this. There may be some that are listening, whether here or online, that are listening to this, and you say, that is so heartless and cruel. Listen, the most heartless thing for me to say to you is you go on in your confusion and continue to try to figure out something that God did not create. The, the best thing I can tell you is get to God's design. God created you. He knows best. And you might have feelings, and by the way, our children are being taught in the schools. They're being taught in the schools, and why should you care about what's being taught in the schools? Because that's the next generation of leaders. Why should some of you run for school boards uh, in, this, in this area? Uh, because that's the next generation, right? So what, I, what I'm getting at is if this matter, they're being taught, question everything. What are they being taught? The same devilish, satanic question that Satan brought up in chapter 3 of Genesis. Half God said. Half God said, I'm a male. Did God really say that? I'm a female. Did God really say that? And you know what? We have a generation that does not understand the word. And where did this start back? We go all the way back to 1960s when we chucked the word of God out. We exalted our own preferences over God. We put ourselves, humanists, put ourselves in the place of God. We don't worship a graven image. We worship ourselves, our own identity, what I prefer, my preferences. Listen, if you today are struggling with this matter of which gender am I, I do not want to push you away. I don't want, to, I don't want you to, uh, we do not hate you. We love you. But your true identity is found in God, not in trying to discover what this world is saying. The world has never once done you a, a, a justice. Not one time, Satan will chew you up, spit you out. Right now, all across our state, do you realize in the children's hospitals of our state, we have, we have gender clinics that are helping kids transition. Transition. Irreplaceable damage. And by the way, insurance will pay for it to go one way, but they'll not help them back. You talk about a wicked, wicked thing that's going on in our nation right now in the guise of health in even Dayton Children's Hospital giving them drugs that is going to hurt and hurt them for their life and even sterilize. Friends, Satan is a murderer. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And from the beginning, he's been this way. And nothing has changed. And he's using the same old tactic, has God said. Why is it important for us to just resettle that God's word is true? Because we can go back to it and rely on it. He made you male or female. And listen, it might be for, for you, you have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, for rebelling against your design. I accept how you made me. And though I may not, I, I may have other wishes, but I accept how you made me. Your God, your God, help me with this. Listen, there's answers for it, and I, I would not want anyone to feel like uh, there's, there's hate in any sort of way. In fact, 
Jesus loves you so much that he came and died on the cross, and we love you too. And he wants, he wants, he wants to make you the best you, and that starts with going back to his truth, his truth, and letting that be the foundation of your life. And so the Bible's true. The Bible's true. You can go hundreds of times throughout the Bible and find, uh, find these, these prophecies that are being ref uh, fulfilled and fulfilled and fulfilled. All the way through the Gospels, you see it, especially in the book of Matthew, you see it, that it might be fulfilled that was said in the prophets. His word is true. Amen, church? His word is true. But I want you to notice in verse number 6, it says this, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the, uh, the donkey and the colt, and they put the clothes on, on them and, uh, and set them there on. So now he's riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, uh, not a stallion. Now, how's he coming back? Well, that's going to be a sight. Uh, you don't want to be down here when that, that happens. You want to be riding behind him when that happens, right? That's going to be a sight, uh, uh, kicking up holy dust of heaven as he, uh, as he comes down and... Uh, and takes care of business at the Battle of Armageddon. But then this, this entry, it's not like that. He's on a donkey. Uh, no king went and found a donkey to ride on. That's not how it works. And so he's coming in. And however, the crowd is very joyous at that day, and they're crying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So this crowd of disciples and different people and some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were mixed in. They weren't very happy. They were having indigestion as they were watching all this go on. But this crowd, this Passover crowd is gathered together and they're there and they're watching all this. Even children were there in the crowd according to uh, verse 15 of, uh, of uh, our passage. Uh, even children were getting in, into the, the action there and they're praising the Lord with them, waving the palms. I imagine that must have been pretty exciting for them. But uh, Jesus and this crowd were on two different pages. You ever been on two different pages with somebody? Maybe you're at a new job and the boss is saying one thing and you're trying, uh, hey, maybe this is right where the rubber meets the road. Uh, husbands, wives, have you ever been on two different pages? I'm just going to stay there until everyone laughs or chuckles or something, right? Right? Are you on two different pages coming in today? Right? You, know, you know the pain of being on two different pages. We see it now. They didn't see it then. They were on two different pages. Jesus was coming in meek and lowly, and they were welcoming him in as the king. Now, why? They wanted a national, a national peace. Jesus came bringing peace. They wanted national peace. Do you remember that they're under Roman occupation? Just imagine, uh, well, imagine Ukraine this morning. Waking up, walking out, seeing bombed out buildings and, and seeing Russian soldiers walking in the streets. Imagine if that were here. You imagine the pain of that? Imagine the, the angst of that, the annoyance of that? Are you with me on that? So that's what's going on. They're under Roman occupation. And yet, here they are, they're welcoming Jesus in. Psalm 118.26, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. And so as, as they're under this occupation, there's Roman soldiers that are making sure the Passover doesn't get out of hand there in Jerusalem. Uh, they're, they're welcoming Jesus into this environment, hoping that he is going to come and push off the Romans. 
that he's going to deal with the Romans once and for all. And so it's no wonder, John 12 and verse number 13, they're taking palm branches and they went forth to meet them and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king, the king of Israel, the king of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord, who's coming on mission from God. Blessed is the king. Jesus was not coming, though, as a conquering king. To come in on a donkey, as he did, was was emblematic of coming in to bring peace. They wanted national peace. Jesus was coming in to bring spiritual peace. Do you remember back, as I mentioned in prayer, back in Matthew 16, when his disciples were asked, who do men say that I am? They declared that you are the Christ, you're the promised one, you are very God. Peter said that, upon this rock, upon that truth, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell should not prevail against it. And from that time forth, he began to say, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter says, no, 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 we don't want you to die. And he says, no, no, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because that was the only way that the church would be birthed and would be built is through the death of Jesus Christ. By the way, even through our death or uh, suffering with him, will the church continue to be built. We'll get to experience that personally. So he back then was saying, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. That's what he's coming to do. So he's coming to, to do that. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and please get this, and having salvation. He is just. He is righteous. By the way, you are not righteous before God unless you've accepted Jesus Christ's righteousness on your behalf. Unless you've admitted your sin before a holy God, you cannot be righteous enough for God without Jesus Christ. He is just. He is righteous 100%. People talk about their own righteousness, and they, they get big in their mind about their own righteousness. I can be good enough for God. No, no. Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He went to the cross, died in our place for our sin, so that we might receive the righteousness of God. That way that great transaction might happen. He takes our sin, it's nailed to the cross, and he gives us his righteousness he is just he's righteous and having salvation that's how he's coming he's bringing the salvation lowly and riding upon a donkey upon the uh, the cold the full of a donkey now here here's something that's really interesting Zechariah 9 9 literally says everything that would happen those many years later and he's coming and bringing peace. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. And he says this, if thou hast known, even thou, at this, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. He's riding in and he just looks at, the, at Jerusalem. And he, if you only knew, if you only knew the peace, the things that belong to your peace, what would give you true peace? If you only knew, all you're focused on right now is whether I get a throne, but I'm focused on the cross to give you true and lasting peace, bringing my salvation with me. The Bible says, Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. Say it with me if you know it. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He's coming to bring peace spiritual peace therefore being justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ so the destination was not a throne it was the cross 
It was the cross. And we can't lose sight of that on this day, the triumphal entry. In no way can we lose sight of that. He was destined for the cross, and we thank God for that. So now the people have a choice over this next week. They would have a choice. They've welcomed him today with hosannas. They're so glad to see him in Jerusalem. You're going to set up the kingdom, right? You're going to become our king. You're going to deliver us from Rome, right? Jesus said, no, 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 no. And it all came down to bear when they began to realize, hold up, he's not going up to the palace. He's not taken over. And three days later, it would become very obvious. The Bible says in Luke 19, 37, when he was nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know what? You know what the Pharisees did? They jump in there and like, hold up, you need to stop all these people. The Pharisees say this. They, they say uh, unto him, rebuke thy disciples. Stop them from talking this way. Stop them. We don't want this. Well, they would, throughout that week's time, they would not only convene in backdoor, smoke-filled rooms, Right? Uh, maybe not smoke-filled rooms, but they would convene in private to determine how they're going to take down Jesus. They were so angry. The Messiah, the promised Messiah, was uh, promised throughout the Old Testament that he would set men free from their sins. They just wanted to be set free. They wanted to be set free from Rome. In fact, one man said it this way, all history had pointed towards this single spectacular event when the Messiah publicly presented himself to the nation and God desired that this fact would be acknowledged and when the people rose up and were praising him and the Pharisees were saying, you've got to stop him, you've got to stop him. They had an understanding this was a very significant day. The people wanted that king, and the, the Pharisees realized oh, all, that, all that was going on here. They, they stood against it in, with, in, in a way to stop them from talking this way. Stop them from praising you. People wanted to be free from Rome. Jesus wanted to free them from their sin. He was coming to do that. Three days later, when the populace was asked, remember now the Pharisees have had their way. They're so enraged by even this this demonstration of him coming in Jerusalem and receiving praise and not stopping it. Uh, they're so enraged by his life, and they've finally got their plan, and they bring him into captivity, arrest him in Gethsemane uh, on, on Wednesday, and they bring him into, they bring him into uh, uh, to custody and before the courts. Remember that, that showdown between, uh, with Pilate, where Pilate asks, hey, uh, I got an idea. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Which one do you want me to let go? It was a tradition to let go one of the one of the the Jewish individuals at that time to pardon someone. So here we, we have it. Uh, Pilate may be wondering is Jesus really that big of a threat or that big of a deal? And so he offers them Barabbas or Jesus. Do you remember that? Are you tracking with me on that? That was a very significant moment because now the people who wanted their king had a choice, a really interesting choice. Barabbas' name uh, means son of the father. Uh, he is called Jesus Barabbas in some ancient copies. But if you find in, in John 18, verse 40, they chose Barabbas 
Not this man, not Jesus, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Well, that's one description of Barabbas. Uh, that word robber has some interesting connotations. But Mark 15 and verse number 7 uh, gives a little bit more light on Barabbas. And there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. You know what Barabbas was? Barabbas was a Jewish revolutionary. Uh, he was one that fought physically for the freedom from Rome. Well, he was a pretty passionate individual. He even got to the point where he was willing to murder a man in that, in that battle. And so here we have the, the populace, this populace that welcomed in uh, Jesus with hosannas. Now, three days later on Wednesday, is gathered together and, and, and they're, offered this, uh, they're offered this opportunity. Do you want Jesus or do you want this revolutionary that we have taken as a Roman prisoner who we have, we're keeping because he's done us some damage, uh, do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? You know what the choice really was? Do you want Jesus, this one who is offering you the spiritual peace, the spiritual deliverance, this one who's offering you water that if you drink, you'll never thirst again, this one that says, I'm the light of the world, this one that says, I, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, this one that's offering healing, complete healing, this one that offers, uh, if you're born again, you'll see the kingdom of heaven, this one that's offering all that. Do you want him, or do you want the one that can set you free from Rome and has a track record of trying to do it? Do you, which one do you want? Which one do you want? And friends, you know what they chose on that day? They said, not this man, not the spiritual deliverer. We want the physical deliverer. And I just want us to really understand, there was a lot of dynamics that were happening in Jerusalem on that day that the Bible brings out, uh, out to us. And you know what's amazing to me? is still today, I believe people make the same exact choice for physical deliverance over spiritual deliverance. Over and over and over again. Now, before we talk about it out there, do you know we do the same thing? We have a need. We have a need. Well, I'm going to go work some overtime, and I'm going to put God to the side, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to figure out how to get that need taken care of, rather than bending our knee before our Creator and saying, God, you're the one that saved my soul. Would you help me? Would you be my deliverer? Uh, so many times people look for the 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 physical deliverer who's going to help me who's going to give us freedom who's going to help me in a physical tangible way that i can feel that i know actions being done rather than saying i want to be free and at peace in my soul i want to be worry free in my soul and the only way that i get that is through jesus christ and so here we have it. There is, there is this, this decision that's being made. We don't want Jesus. We want, we want Barabbas. We want this physical deliverer who's always already fought on our behalf. Jesus was the true son of God. He's a true liberator. He's a true revolutionary, if you want to, uh, want to think of it that way. But the fact is, they rejected him and they received Barabbas on that that day that they were offered that by Pilate. Still going on today? You know, I find that people praise Jesus and give hosannas to Jesus as long as they're comfortable, 
as long as it's convenient, as long as there's no persecution, as long as they're feeling good, but they turn on him when they think there's a physical deliverer somewhere else. Have you seen that? How many times do people even will reach out even to, even to what they perceive as God or church, and they'll reach out, and as soon as they don't get a physical deliverance, they're like, I'll go somewhere else. Because they're not really interested in the spiritual deliverance that, that Jesus can give. Friends, same, same type of people in that day as in this day, and still the same. Now, how, how does that apply to us? Make certain, make certain that you're running to Jesus as your deliverer. I trust that you've run to him as your spiritual deliverer from your sin and an eternity in hell. I trust that you've already made that decision. I, I trust that if you have not, that you will make certain of that before you leave today, that you'll allow us to help you with that. But what about this, Christians? How many times do you turn to the arm of the flesh rather than to your deliverer? Well, if I'm working and if I'm really toiling after it, if, I, if it's my plan, boy, that makes me feel good rather than seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, I, I, I got to figure out how to make my way through this. I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm certain there's a way through this rather than cast all your care upon him for he careth for you. Do you see the difference? Am I making any sense? Do you know how many times we turn to physical deliverers over the spiritual deliverance? And it happens at salvation, but it happens in our lives on a daily basis. We turn and lean to our own understanding rather than leaning on him, our true conqueror and deliverer. And so, by the way, uh, there's going to be another point where our world makes a choice. It's going to be the Antichrist. And he's going to promise that he can finally bring this whole messy world to peace. Do you see times being set up for that? Right? You're watching it. Well, how do you deal with Putin's? Well, someday there's going to come on the, on the scene a man who says, I got the answer. And he's going to offer physical, global peace. And the world's going to go after it in rejection of him. In fact, all the way through the Reve uh, Revelation, you find over and over, as God brings judgment and, and, and is trying to bring people to understanding, but bringing judgment on, on, on the world, they shake their fist at God. His own nation. Boy, they think things are pretty good. We finally got peace until that man turns on them and offers the abomination of desolation on the altar there in, in the temple in Jerusalem and sets himself up to be worshipped. Oh, we didn't sign up for that. Hold up. The world's way of giving peace will always backfire. Always. So we have a world that's being set up for it, but there was a world right then. They made a decision at that point. So he was bringing peace, but lastly I wanted to notice his triumphal entry signified or was significant uh, because he was declaring his person. He was declaring who he was. Matthew 10 through 11, or Matthew 21, 10 through 11, and when he was coming to Jerusalem, the whole city was moved. What's that word moved? It's the idea of um, agitated. It's, a, it's kind of a state of being. Have you ever been kind of in a state of irritation? Yeah, we get there, right? You know what it is? It's a state. Like you're, you're, I'm, just, I'm in a mood 
say that, a mood of irritation. The whole city, though, was in this mood or this, this state, this status of being agitated and, and bubbling around. They're all talking to one another, and they're asking one question. All in the streets of Jerusalem, who is this? Now, that's a really great question, isn't it? Who is this? And they say it's Jesus the... Did you notice that? Jesus the what? The prophet. Hold up. Was Jesus a good preacher? Good foreteller of the truth? Was he, was he a good preacher? Yeah. Best, we, best one ever to walk the face of the earth. But is that all he was? Oh, no. Oh, no. What an injustice to who Jesus was. And they saw him as a prophet. Mm, go back to Matthew chapter 16. That's what the population was saying back then as well. And so here he is. The, uh, he's just a prophet here. He's just a prophet. But the whole city is uh, in an uproar, so to speak, uh, you know, talking and chatting back and forth, charged up with this question, who is this? Well, he's just a prophet. That's the word on the streets. That's what the news media was reporting. That's what was being printed in the newspapers. That's what was being tweeted on Twitter and so on. Uh, he's just a prophet. He's not God, which, by the way, still happens today. We demote Jesus from being God. People, is he really? Is he really God? Is he really God? Nah, he came, and, and once he was baptized, he became God. Oh, so you mean he wasn't an eternal God? It, it, still the same things going on today, all these different lies about who Jesus Christ is. And so they were saying, ah, he's just a, a prophet. Now, some of that could have come from Deuteronomy 18 and verse number 15. The Bible talks about the, the prophet that comes from the midst of thee. But to say that Jesus was a prophet is not equal to Jesus being the Son of God, who he was in the very flesh. Who is this? Well, he's the promised one. He's the promised one. Jesus and his identity was confused on that day as this event marks that official presentation of Jesus to Jerusalem, to the nation of Israel, as the rightful son of David, the one that had been promised. There was much confusion about who he was. Daniel talks about this in Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 25 that the, in giving the timeline for when Jesus would come, the Messiah would come and be cut off. Gave exact timeline for that. Daniel 9 and verse number 20, uh, 25. And Mark 11 and verse number 9. Uh, they went before him and they followed crying after. Uh, 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 they that followed cried saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And they acknowledge, oh, this is the one who is coming in the, name, in the line of David. They acknowledged that. They were confused about who he was. Notice what happened when the Pharisees had heard the praise coming towards Jesus. Luke 19 and verse number 40, they said, stop it. And Jesus said this to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, stones would immediately cry out. Their worship of him as the one coming in the line of David was accurate, but they did not fully understand who he was very, very God. You know, the populace today is still confused about who Jesus Christ is. Google search it. They're still confused about who Jesus Christ is. Ask people in our city, do you know who Jesus is? There are people within a mile of this church that do not know the name of Jesus. They, they have not considered his name, some even not hearing his name. You say, that, that's not possible. 
that's not possible. I've, I've met them. I could, by memory, take you to a house right now, a person that's not ever cracked, uncracked the Bible or does not know Jesus Christ. At all. We have a world that's confused about it. We have a biblically illiterate world around us. And we have the hope and we have the knowledge of who Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said, Acts 1.8, you're going to be my witnesses if you come to me by faith. If you've accepted my salvation, you're going to be my witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness gives a first-hand account and brings clarity to the confusion. Says, no, 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 that's not how that accident happened. I saw it. Here's what happens with you. You have the opportunity this week to say, no, 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 that's not how it is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is very God in the flesh who came down, took on a human body, he lived a perfect life, went to the cross on this week for my sin. He died there in my place because I deserve the penalty of death for my sin. And he tells me if I'll come to him by faith and receive what he did for me on the cross, that I can be saved from all of my sin and receive God's righteousness. That's the way it happened. And that happened to me on November 13, 1996. I had the chance to set people's minds straight about this, bring clarity to their confusion about who Jesus Christ is. I have now the chance, and so don't you, to be able to say, listen, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, he was fulfilling a prophecy that was given 700 years previous. You now have a paper right in front of you if you're going to take their work, and you can actually tell people that the word of God is true. Here's it in the Bible. This happened this week. It's relevant to our lives. God's word is still true. He's saying, hey, uh, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You bring that clarity to the confusion. The populace is still confused. Satan wants to keep them confused. You're his witnesses. You're his witnesses. You are the answer in this day. Jesus left you here for that purpose. And so I want you to grab that purple piece of paper. Do you have a pen? Someone will share. If God's truth, the word of God is absolute true, prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus is bringing peace to the world, not national peace necessarily, but spiritual peace for you and your heart between you and God. And if he has come, uh, declaring his person that I am the one that's been promised throughout all time as the answer to your sin. If that's all true, and it is, then for it to be practical, we've got to do something with that this week because we live in a world that's massively confused. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down on that piece of paper who are the people that God has placed in your life this week, right now, in your life, that need your answer of clarity about who Jesus Christ is and what he offers to them. They need your answer this week. Or they need your answer within the next two weeks. But they need an answer of clarity to their confusion.
This is a person that needs to be saved. This is a person that needs to come to Jesus Christ. This is a person you, you have maybe next door. This is maybe a family member. This is a person that you wish, you wish, you wish, you've invited and invited and invited to come to church. You wish they would receive Jesus Christ. You wish that, but they've not yet. And you put that down in the piece of paper. And here's what we're going to do in a moment. Do you have those names down? Can you think of at least one person? I'm, I'd be hard-pressed to think that you can't think of at least one person. Do you have a name down on there? I want everyone to write down a name. You're his witnesses. Jesus left you to bring clarity to the confusion in this world. Is God's word true? Can you answer that? What did Jesus come to do? Can you answer that? He came to bring peace, salvation. Is Jesus righteous, completely sinless? Can you answer that? Well, the Bible says, Zechariah 9.9, he is just. He's just, lived a sinless life. What's he bringing? Salvation, peace. Can you answer, who is Jesus? Well, he's the Messiah, the son of the living God, declaring his person as he wrote in that day. The Pharisees say, no, stop them. Jesus received the praise. Can you answer that this week? Can you bring clarity to their confusion? All right, do you have those names down? Say amen if you have a name down. All right. Our invitation this morning is I want you to come and pray about that person. Talk to the Lord about that person. And then what we're going to do, we're going to put those names at the cross here. We'll lay them down at the cross. We're going to ask God to do the work in their hearts. I've seen people come to Christ because of the prayers of people just like you. You've seen it happen. You say, I've done it before. Go to God again. Go to God again. You're the answer. He left you here as his witnesses, Acts 1-8, to bring clarity to their confusion. You trust the Holy Spirit's going to do the work as you pray and submit it to him. Would you stand with me in prayer? Father, I pray that right now, across this room, believe most here are, are believers and I trust that those that are not yet believers will receive you today before they leave this place. But Lord, I pray that your people would bring clarity to the confusion that's out there about who you are. Oh, Jerusalem, Lord, was so confused about you that day. And it wasn't until your, your people stood up on Pentecost and declared your name and who you are and connected the dots as you empowered them. It wasn't until so many came to know you as Savior. Lord, I pray that through the prayers of your people and through the witness of your people and through the, the clear testimonies of your people this week and the next and the next and the rest of this year, that you would help us to bring clarity to the confusion that is in our city and in our families and our community. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you come and would you find a place to pray about that? And here's what I'd like you to do after you've prayed. I'd like for you to put that name, just put it at the base of the cross symptomatic that you're asking God to bring that person to the cross. Come on, find a place to pray. Find a place to pray and let's ask God for that name. That's important. Don't bypass that. Don't just toss it at the cross. Pray. Ask God. I don't care if you pray in your seats or wherever you pray, but pray for that person that you've written down there. Pray for that person. It's okay to get with somebody else and pray. Pray together as a couple. Pray as a Men and men and ladies and ladies, it's okay. Let's, let's do business with the Lord here. Who is it that you need to give and bring clarity to? Mention their names to God. Lord, I want to see this person come to know you by faith. Break through the darkness.
much you prayed, just toss it out on the platform there. We're going to pin them to the cross here a little later. Doing this does not save them. God's going to lead you in another step. He's going to give you an opportunity to pray to that, um, pray uh, to talk to that person. You let God do the leading on that. Let God be the one that helps you with that. He will. You just stay surrendered. Keep praying for that person every day this week. <laughs> Keep it on your prayer list. Well, these are still praying. Is there anyone here today that say, Pastor, I don't know for certain that I'm saved. I don't know for certain that I'm saved. But I, I realize I need to come to the cross personally. I can't put someone else's name there. I've not been there. I've not yet let Jesus take away my sin. I can't say that I'm forgiven. You go to bed at night and you wonder, if I died tonight, I don't know where I'd go. With our heads bowed, and if that's you this morning, would you, I'm not going to point you out, but would you simply admit, boy, I, I'm in need. I'm in need of salvation. I, I need some questions answered, but I'm in need of that. I don't have the confidence in my heart that I'm saved. Is that you today? Would you just put up your hand? No one's looking around, but I am. God is. That's the most important thing. You just put up your hand and put it back down. I don't know for certain that I'm saved, but I'd certainly like to. I'd like to know that my sins are forgiven. Anyone like that today? Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the work that you were doing in your people. Lord, these names that have been laid at the foot of the cross, we realize now that you have to do a work in their hearts. And in many ways, Lord, right now, I pray that you would help us to stop and realize that you are the one who does the saving. Lord, too often we try to put ourselves in your, in your place and we try to to with our wit and with our our understanding we try to win people into heaven lord i pray that even as symbolically as it is that truly we would submit these people that are on our hearts to you to work in this week that we would seek your holy spirit's conviction in their lives and and love in their lives to woo them to yourself lord i pray that you would help us to go into this week as well anticipating the opportunity that you will give whether this week or next or in the in the month ahead to talk to that person and to bring clarity to their confusion about you lord would you open up those doors marvelously for for your people this is your body you said these are your witnesses would you open up the doors and we ask that you would bring in a harvest of people who would turn to you in faith so Please help us, Lord. Help us not to lean to our own understandings or to our own strength. We can't afford to do that. The destinies of these people laying at the foot of the cross hang in the balance of us trusting you and letting you be God and us being your witnesses. So help us, Lord, we pray. We want to be in your ambassadors. I thank you for our church family. I pray that you bless them and help them and encourage them and lift them uh, closer to you as they seek you even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.